Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike and Laurent. It is Tuesday, November 16th. In this episode, I fly solo while Laurent gallivants around Sweden, remarking about how uncomfortable he is to be surrounded by all those white people. The Premier League closes in on, on a billion, that's right, billion with a B dollar TV deal. But first, we start in the Queen City, Cincinnati, Ohio, the birthplace of overrated jelly and one of the last remaining strongholds for the U.S. men's national team where they added to a, to Dosa Cerro Lore with yet another 2-0 victory over their Mexican rivals on Friday. Now, this is the third consecutive win over Mexico in six months for the Americans, starting with that crazy Gold Cup game over the summer. But, folks, this was just a good old-fashioned American paddling. Uh, but before we get into the game, I don't want to start with the kickoff yet. We start with something that was said prior to the game by Mexico goalkeeper and chief shithead Memo Ochoa, who has made 121 appearances for the Mexican national team dating back to 2005. This guy has been at the forefront of every U.S.-Mexico brouhaha controversy, every piece of this rivalry for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, 15 years, I should say. Uh, he said, and this is translated from Spanish, but that's okay. So it's a rivalry, and Mexico has been that mirror in which they, the United States, want to see themselves. They want to reflect, and they want to copy it. Now, this game, this American team was no copycat. This American team came out with the intention of punching you so hard you swallowed a tooth. And let me tell you something, for 90 minutes, they did pretty much just that. Um, they really pressed the hell out of Mexico the entire game. It did create some opportunities, which I'll mention in a moment, but um, some opportunities for the Mexicans, I should say. But they were so far forward. And I think um, I think it was the SB Nation uh, US blog. I think it's called Stars and Stripes SC. I, I forget who wrote the article, but they chronicled the three games that I had just mentioned, uh, the US and Mexico recently. All three wins from the Americans, but the difference – between this game and the other two was that they had even more players, uh, more or less half uh, past the halfway point. There were six players whose average position and average touches were uh, in the Mexican side of the field, which is pretty impressive, pretty interesting for a historically, um, I guess, complete not complacent, but relaxed American team. They they've historically played, especially against the Mexicans who were so good in possession, especially under Tata Martino, um, where they've, they've sort of been on, not on the front foot. They've been waiting for, you know, an opportunity. Right. And that's sort of what the, the growing football masses in the United States have sort of been waiting for, right. Stop being this Burnley, stop being this team that sits back and lets the game come to them and and hit on the break. But as we've started to cultivate world-class talent, like your Gio Reynas, like your Weston McKinney's, like your Zach Steffens, and of course, like your Christian Pulisic's, uh, you need to at some point have a cohesive unit that takes the game to their opposition, especially in CONCACAF, where you are absolutely the most talented group on the field of the two. Uh, at least, what is that? I mean, if there's if there's eight teams in the final stages of CONCACAF, you're definitely better than five of them. You're definitely, you're almost definitely better than Canada to a man. Uh, and Mexico is going to be your big rival, right? But you have to show up. You have to prove that you belong on that field and you deserve to win the game, right? Um, so again, Pulisic didn't start. I was concerned when I saw the lineup. Uh, Reyno was still not available. Uh, but they still effectively pressed Mexico into submission over 90 minutes. Uh, I, if you look at the expected goals, I believe mine was on uh, who scored. It uh, it reads 
2.17 for the United States and 0.72 for Mexico. Um, now the, that 0.72, that's nothing to shake a stick at. And, and a lot of those opportunities came in the first, I uh, call it 20 minutes of the game. Um, they were pre- predominantly on the counter, which is ironic, but it needs to be said, Zach Steffen, who some were arguing should not have started the game. Um, brilliant. Two, two big saves in the first 20 minutes, especially one on a breakaway. I forget who had the shot, um, but, but a nice little one, two ball from Jimenez, Raul Jimenez, who's looking better and better as the days go by, which far be it for me to say anything nice about a Mexican national team player, but he's a guy that is really, really hard to root against. So uh, it was interesting to see him playing back sort of in his element. Um, He slides this ball through uh, and is a really, really strong save on a breakaway um, for the Mexicans. Chucky Lozano on the left wing was doing his thing. He was creating opportunities as well. But again, as the game sort of gone on, uh, the U S grew into it and they, they got more confident and, and more aggressive. Um, the thing I noticed, and it was hard not to, frankly, was that most of the United States play was flying down the right flank. Uh, Tim Weah, uh, you know, listen, all the plaudits are going to go to Pulisic. They're all going to go to McKinney. Those are the two goal scorers. And we'll talk about how they did what they did uh, in a moment. But I don't think either of them uh, is in a position to probably win and ice the game uh, without Weah and his contributions the entire 90 minutes, not just in those two pivotal moments. Um, he was involved. And so he was, he was the direct result of the first goal. He was involved in all of the U S's best, probably four to five chances throughout the game. Uh, some of them went begging. Some of them really just kind of fizzled out, but he was always in and around the box, but it was always coming down the right wing. Right. Um, my goodness. Who was their, uh, their, their left back Mexican left back. Oh, Jesus uh, Gallardo, Christ almighty, somebody call a taxi for this guy. He was lost. He was lost at sea, and Wea was just just ruining him the entire game. So um, it'll be interesting to see if teams force the United States as they maybe play a little bit different competitions. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, um, if they can try to be a little less one-dimensional. Uh, it's interesting because they're still, you know, Canada's sitting pretty in this group as well right now. And we've been talking a lot about how Alfonso Davies does this for Canada down the left. Uh, it's very, very similar. I thought that his play was as good as anything we had seen from Davies with the exception of that one phenomenal goal a few weeks back. Um, but it was dominant right down the right side. So, um, so we'll see if he continues through that, but I want to talk about that first goal a little bit more. Um, again, like I said, Mexico, probably had the better of the game the first 20 minutes. And then from then on, it was just slowly wondering if that goal was going to come. Um, And in the 66th, 67th minute, the game really starts to pop off. Um, Brendan Aronson gets into it a little bit on the left side of the field. Uh, I think three yellow cards were given out, including to one to to Stefan, who ran out of his net by about 50 yards for some reason. Um, So Weston McKinney, he's going to miss the game on – the, the next game against Jamaica for uh, yellow card accumulation. Um, but this is when you started to see the Mexico-U.S. rivalry really start to come alive, right? Um, all of a sudden, Christian Pulisic makes an entry pretty much straight away right off, right after that. And his first real involvement comes, again, off of a ball from Tim Weah, who 
drives right past Gallardo and puts it into the into the box, into that, that danger area, that six-yard box. Uh, he had done this for Pepe a few times over the course of the first half, and it just couldn't get on the end of it. Um, but this time he had a professional in there. And and it 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 always – when I watch Christian Pulisic for Chelsea, I get so frustrated that, one, A, he can't stay on the field, but, B, that he's never really in a central role. Um, now I'm not arguing to say that he should be the number nine for Chelsea, of course not, but he's always sort of stuck out on the wing and it isolates him often. Uh, and it, it becomes an interesting part of his game because the U S plays best when he is central because it forces the entire opposition to draw all of their attention to him. And ironically in this specific scenario, uh, he was sort of laying in wait. And so you've got, um, you, you had Pepe, you had, uh, McKinney in and around the box. And all of a sudden here comes Pulisic sneaking in and he takes a, a, just a poacher's finish. It was fantastic. He jumps in front of the center back, uh, Dominguez and leaves Ochoa for dead. Uh, no chance for Ochoa classy goal from a classy player. And then, as I mentioned, the, uh, the copycat comment, um, he revealed his undershirt to the camera and it said the man in the mirror, right? Uh, surprised he actually didn't get a yellow card for that because you're supposed to, but it was beautiful. It was poetic. Nobody loves a goal against Mexico more than Christian Pulisic. Um, it was, it was something. Uh, and all of, all of Cincinnati, not just the stadium uh, exploded. We talked about it uh, when Laurent was still here last week uh, about how Ohio seems to be one of the only strongholds and only places where the U.S. really kind of shows out, and it's a true home game for the American Outlaws and the United States national men's national team, and uh, and that held true again. Um, it was it was heartening to see, especially after it had been so long, a true dominant home game when the U.S. goes to Azteca and the the very few brave souls wearing red, white, and blue show up. Uh, they get stuck in the corner in the away section behind barbed wire. They get pissed bags thrown at them. That's real. Um, but usually when, whenever it's in the, wherever it's in, in the U S whether it's Orlando, whether it's in S San Diego, LA, Connecticut, New Jersey, uh, it's very difficult for the U S to have a home game. And that's true of any CONCACAF opponent realistically, aside from Canada, I suppose. Um, and I mean, I, I've seen them play Costa Rica where the American Outlaws section was the only predominantly American section in the stadium and the rest of it felt like we were in Costa Rica. Um, so it's it was it was great to see the red, white and blue really kind of donned out through the entire uh, stadium there. And they they, you know, let loose once uh, once Pulisic put us up one nil. Um, and again, the U.S. just smelled blood in the water and kept flying down the right wing, kept, kept pushing it, kept pushing it. And so Weya finds himself, and I think this is the 85th minute or so, uh, he finds himself in space and he puts an interesting uh, little ball, like kind of a, a short hop, if you will, in towards the box. McKinney sort of lets it run. He sort of dummies it uh, and it bounces around, it pinballs a little bit um, and it bounces right back to him. And he, again, lays waste to Memo Ochoa. There was no chance for the guy. Uh, I almost felt bad for him, but you want to talk shit, that's what's going to happen to you, handsome. So, um, and listen, as 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 that was 2-0, Dos Acero, 85th minute, 
we need to talk about that because this was not my idea. I will take credit for it, but it was not my idea. Um, on Thursday's show, you know, and you if you're a, a fan of the show, we love you very much. And you know that on Thursdays, we usually do our best bet previews for the weekend. And generally speaking, um, they're terrible. But Laurent's actually found some luck with some very high odds um, bets lately. And so I took my try at one and I said, Dos Acero in Ohio. It's happened many times before. It is plus 1,000, up to plus, I, I heard up to plus 1,500 in, on some books, depending on when and where you got it. So if you had the guts to take Dos Acero, uh, I hope you had yourself a hell of a weekend. A special shout out to our friend, uh, Andy, good friend of the show, who was at the game, took that action from what I understand. And I, all reports say that that man had himself one hell of a weekend uh, with his lovely girlfriend, Mara. Um yeah, that, that, he actually sent me a video from the middle of the American Outlaw section, about 10 rows off the field, and it was everything you heard on TV times about 100. Um, and that's kind of just – it's it's really fun to be a U.S. fan right now. Uh, June 6th, 1-0, CONCACAF Nations League final. That was the one in Denver that got fucking crazy. Uh, August 8th in the Gold Cup final, 1-0 to the Americans uh, in the late, late extra time winner. And now two nothing in a World Cup qualifier. And I listen. I understand that there's technically silverware that has to do with the other two matches. Um, they didn't mean shit compared to this one. This is a big one. Okay, this is a big, big game for the United States men's national team. And um, I just, I, I wonder where that leaves us, right? Because it is so much fun, as I mentioned right now, to be a fan of the Americans. And I know that the bandwagon is starting to back back up and take a bunch of people back on that have, have fallen off in the last three to four years, right? I'm one of them. I laughed when Trinidad and Tobago beat us. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was a long time coming, to be quite honest. I thought it was a combination of not getting rid of the old heads long enough and 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 uh relying on too many decrepit old players who at best, we're going to get you into the World Cup just to get embarrassed on the world stage. So I thought that it was potentially, ultimately, a good thing because it would usher in a new era. But in doing so, it we took a big hit from, from a national notoriety perspective, from a respect around the world perspective, despite the fact that Italy, despite the fact that Netherlands, Chile, a number of, of what you would otherwise know as like the college football blue bloods, uh, of international football uh, missed the mark. So it's interesting um, that, you know, we're starting to get that mojo back. Now, let's not get carried away. The United States men's national team competes in CONCACAF. They compete against Mexico and Canada and Jamaica and Honduras and Costa Rica and the likes. Okay. This is not playing against England and Sweden and Italy and Denmark. And, you know, the this is not UEFA uh, qualifying. And we've talked about that on the show a lot. It is sure as shit not comfortable where you've got a knife fight, sometimes literally, to try and get into the World Cup. Um, but you can only play who you put they put in front of you. You can only play the games on the schedule. And right now, after seven games, which is the halfway point, of the CONCACAF final stage World Cup qualifying, the United States is on top of the table, albeit by goal difference, but they're on top of the table with 14 points. 
The trouble is, though, when you look in that a little bit deeper, Mexico on 14 minus two goal difference to, to the United States. United States is plus seven, Mexico plus five. So that game swung not just the points balance, but the goal difference balance. But when you look at the rest of the table, Canada plus seven goal difference, 13 points, one point behind both teams. And they will play Mexico later this week. Very, very interesting game there. You go all the way down to fourth place. Panama is only on 11. And by only, I mean, they're only three points. They're only one result behind the United States and Mexico. So this could get very interesting, very fast. Not unlike the 2014 World Cup qualifying process where Mexico needed the U.S. to bail them out at Panama. Graham Zussi, if memory serves. And then 2018, where the opposite should have happened and didn't. And the U.S. was left on the outside looking in. So Costa Rica is in fifth place with, with Costa Rica, Jamaica, and El Salvador all sitting in effectively fifth place with six points. The only reason that's important, not from a United States point of view, the reason that that's important is because that's the odd man out, right? <clears throat> the, the the front three, U.S. as it stands currently, U.S., Mexico, and Canada, their, their tickets are punched if everything were to end today, which it doesn't. But the fourth place needs to play in a in a playoff, in a qualifier. Now, I'm not up on exactly what that means right now. In the past, it has meant that the Oceania um, playoff team has played them, played the, the CONCACAF team. Um, but when you look at around the rest of the world, there are teams like Italy. There are teams like Poland. There are teams uh, that are dangerous, that are good teams. Uh, Italy, the European champions. Coming off of again not missing the not making the World Cup in 2018, European champions, um, are they a team that you would feel comfortable with going into a winner take all loser go home play in game for the World Cup? I sure as shit wouldn't. And so, I just I don't know where the U.S. stands right now. This this comparison is going to bother me more than more than most people, um, but. They're very arsenal right now. And I say that as a compliment, right? And and if anybody's been listening to the show for the last month or so, I'm not high on Arsenal at all. But it's hard to – it's really hard to, uh, you know, to not give the devil their due. I mean, granted, has it been on the back of Emile Smith-Rowe and, and um, you know, not Lacazette and Aubameyang missing penalties? Sure. But tell me that Weston McKinney isn't effectively that Smith-Rowe Smith role right now. He's on good form. He's banging in important goals. The question I have for both the U.S. and Arsenal is, well, what are you really? Um, This was a statement win. But again, as I mentioned, it doesn't get more ah, fortuitous, but it doesn't get more uh, advantageous for the U.S. in a game against a, a big team in their group than playing in Ohio. It just doesn't. So what are you? Well, we'll learn when they go to Azteca, when they go to some of these Central American countries, and they don't drop points at El Salvador. I'm sorry, or Honduras, right? So there's seven games to learn, not just are we going to qualify for the World Cup. I, I understand that that needs to be the um, the interim goal here. I understand that that needs to be you know, you, you can walk before you run. And certainly we, we forgot how to walk four years ago, three years ago. But uh, what really do we look like? 
And so when I think about where this team can possibly go, you okay, well, they're they're playing Bosnia and Herzegovina in a in a friendly over the next um European break. And then they jump right back into more qualifying. I just I wonder if there's anything there that doesn't leave you wanting to say, okay, well, this this US team can can make some noise on the world stage. So there's a lot of time between now. Well, frankly, there's less time than it feels like. There, we're about a year out, as we covered in the last show or last week, um, because the World Cup is going to be moving to the winter next season. Um, but it's interesting. I, I don't know what to make of these guys. They're lovable. They're really, really fun to root for. And I, I have not enjoyed watching uh, a group of guys wear this shirt like this since the 2014 uh, well, the World Cup, but even the, the qualification cycle, which, by the way, was clinched in Columbus, Ohio, at the expense of Mexico with a 2-0 Dos Acero victory, right? So um, that was Landon. That was that was Dempsey. That was uh, at their, at John Brooks at their absolute peak, right? Jermaine Jones, that whole group. Um, and it culminated with a damn near upset of, of Belgium on the on the back of Tim Howard being named the Secretary of Defense. He made so many saves. So there's a lot there. Um and as your resident Tottenham supporter, gosh, uh I sure hope that somebody on Saturday morning in London woke up Fabio Paratici with a text message of Weston McKinney's performance and that that goal and that finish. Um he seems like somebody Spurs could sure use right now. And Obviously, the con- the connection there is that Paratici signed McKenney for Juventus a few years back, um, and he's been rumored to go to Spurs. He's been rumored as a, a name that Paratici has always kept close to the chest, and he's he's been a guy that he really likes, and he wants to bring him to London. I think he'd be a smash hit for Spurs, both from a on-field NPR perspective. I think, I think when Chelsea bought Pulisic. I think it was as much about the commercial value as it was the on-field value. And I mean that because he here was the next American golden boy. And I don't have numbers. There's no way to quantify this, I suppose. But you can't tell me that American Chelsea fans have not gone through the roof since the announcement that Pulisic was signing with them. Merchandise sure shit has. We actually have stats for that. I haven't looked it up, but I know it. I've seen it before. Um, and their footprint, which seems to be the race for all of these big clubs. It's not so much uh what was the the term I always love laughing at when the Serpa League stuff happened? Oh, it was the legacy fans that the that English fans were called legacy fans. They were effectively saying, Your your money is not going any further for us, and we need to find more of it elsewhere. Um and so you started to see the Premier League's tentacles go into Asia and into uh, the Americas, primarily the U.S. and Canada. And so um, signing Pulisic the same way that when Tottenham had that publicity stunt with Alex Morgan where she played like three games and then went back, it was exclusively to try and capture as much of the American market as possible. Now, Chelsea succeeded with that, where Spurs have failed. Um, which seems to also be a theme, but I feel like even if, even if he was decent, I'm not going to say an outright 
failure. But if he was a, a decent squad player for Spurs, which, by the way, is what Pulisic is for Chelsea, it would be seen as a smashing success. Smashing success. And I wonder, Spurs, who have one of the biggest footprints of the big teams, if you will, in the United States, I wonder if that becomes something uh, that really kicks them on uh, from that that growth level, right? Um, so we'll see. I, it's it's hard to say, but I sure as shit know that Paratici has him on his short list, and I would hope that after Friday's match that it's gotten uh, you know ticked up a little bit. Um, and I think that takes us to uh, the other topic that I wanted to discuss today um, with the Premier League's television broadcast rights in the United States. Now, I don't know if you've been following this. We sure we certainly have been kind of keeping an eye on it. And I think we talked about it last week, but um, NBC's contract, uh, which started in 2015, I'll get into the history of it in a few minutes. Um, but NBC's contract with the Premier League in, a, in the United States runs out after this season. And so you've effectively got three very eager, very interested buyers, um, bidders, I should say, uh, coming into that space. Um, and they've all sort of been beating each other up over sports rights, not just the Premier League, um, but all sports rights for the last, <clears throat> the last probably 10, 15 years, realistically the last 40 years. But it's NBC, CBS, and it's ESPN. Now, Fox is apparently still in the talks as well, but it sounds like they're in, they're fading a little bit. And I do not believe Amazon is considered a serious player at this moment. Um, but let's, let, like I mentioned, let's go back. The NBC deal they struck in 2012 was for three seasons. And they had taken the Premier League from ESPN. <clears throat> and that deal was worth $250 million over three seasons, an average of $83 million per season. And what the NBC, what NBC has done for the Premier League is, is transformed, transformed soccer fandom in America. It has hit overdrive. And, and NBC is to blame or to, to, to thank, I should say, for most of that success and that growth. And all it comes down to is the, the surfacing of games. Every game was available for a long time to any fan who wanted to see it. This was better than you could get in England. We've talked about this. <clears throat> in 2015, NBC renewed for six more seasons at a valuation of roughly $1 billion. So they doubled their uh, output per season. They went from $83 million to $166 million per season uh, with that new NBC deal in 2015. And here we are. We're at the end of that deal. And so what does that mean uh, for the current offers, well, you'd be you'd be hard pressed to hear the hear about the pandemic in this respect because uh, the current rumors are that the second round of bidding is currently underway, and it will be announced later this week, I believe. But as of now, the number that they're kicking around is two billion for what I believe is five seasons. So that turns into two hundred and twenty million, a little bit over that million dollars per season. So that's another 65, 60, 65 million uh, per season that should be coming from one of these uh, rights providers. So CBS, which has uh, really gotten into the, the, the sports streaming space, the soccer space specifically, Champions League, Europa League, Serie A, 
uh, some women's games. Uh, ESPN, which is sort of eager and chomping at the bit, they've got La Liga um, on ESPN Plus, um, but on their networks, not a whole heck of a lot going on soccer wise. Um, and NBC, right? The the old hat. And I feel like NBC has lost some of their favor with the Premier League and and their lead, if you will, um, as a result of Peacock. And having games pushed to push to that that service, which A isn't that great, B is sort of one-dimensional. Like there's not that it's weird that NBC Universal can be leave you wanting uh for content and I guess new content, if you will. Like, yeah, we've seen Parks and Rec. We've seen The Office. What else do you have, guys? Um, so it's interesting from that respect. But it's the 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 way in which they deploy it where it's inconsistent. There's different games at different times from week to week that are on Peacock versus NBC. Uh, sometimes your club is your, – your favorite club is on there. Sometimes they're not. It just – and there's, there's no way – and I've lamented this before. There's no way to – Watch all of the games on either cable or on Peacock for any price. And if you would give me the opportunity, similar to the NHL, similar to NBA, League Pass, or MLB Extra Innings, whatever you want to call it, um, here's a here's $100. Give me every game on a streaming platform the entire season. Now they can't do that because of the current cable rights and all that stuff. Uh, they can only siphon off, I believe it's like, 15% maybe of the games. And is that really worth it at that point? Like, are you paying for Norwich Burnley and Spurs versus Southampton and city versus, I don't know, you know, are you're, you're never going to get city Liverpool. You're never going to get United uh, city or, or, you know, anything like that. It's weird to me. They have tried to put big games on. In fact, they've tried to put Notre Dame football on Peacock too, and that sort of got blown up in their face. And so NBC is sort of at a crossroads with what they're doing with their digital strategy. And I think it is sort of catching up to them, especially because you've got two giant players in Viacom and Disney, right, CBS and ESPN, who are chomping at the bit to try and get more of this space. And now keep in mind, in 2012, NBC took the deal – from ESPN. And this was, I mean, they'd have a few games on ESPN 2 or ESPN News or something like that, but they didn't have every game on. So let's pretend that either of those, or even Fox, gets the rights. And NBC is left out in the cold starting next season. Will will they take Lady Low? Will they take the Robbies? Will they bring in their own talent. <clears throat> I think there's actually a good blueprint for this. It's just happened with um, the NHL leaving NBC for both ESPN and TNT. Now the premier league has no interest in sharing between two networks, which I think is smart, but um, I do think that the latest, the, the, the newest winners, whoever these folks are um, will would do well to to transfer over a lot of the on-air talent. Now, I know CBS has their own right now for Champions League, uh, and they do a fine job. Um, 
So maybe that wouldn't be the case for them. But ESPN, starting from scratch, again, just like they did with the NHL, they'd be silly not to hire Rebecca Lowe. They'd be silly not to bring the Robbies on. It's still in Connecticut. It's a little bit deeper in Connecticut. Okay, it's a lot deeper into Connecticut. It's the shitty part of Connecticut. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> it's mostly all of Connecticut's the shitty part of Connecticut. Um, but I'd be interested to see what direction they tried to go in. They also have you know, their own uh, international coverage. And I mean, they've got their correspondence for the Euros, but they're going to need more. Right. And I don't know that those people are available for an every week commitment similar to NBC with the Premier League. So um, it's going to be hard to tell what that looks like. But if if NBC loses the rights, it's likely that they will lose Rebecca Lowe as well, because realistically, as much as they could reassign Catherine Tappen to Notre Dame, as much as they could do whatever, Liam McHugh left. He went to TNT for the NHL. Right. Um, what is Rebecca Lowe still doing there? She'll do Olympic coverage for them like she did this past summer. Sure, fine. Um, but I'm not so sure that the Winter Olympics uh is is a hugely great fit for for Lady Lowe and um and and everything else going forward. She's a she's a football lady. So um it'll be interesting to see what that means. But again, what is that number? Uh and and we we touched on it last week about how the Premier League might start be starting to get bigger than the Champions League, this is another example. Uh, you know, this was this was Laurent's idea, not mine, but he was bang on. And um, it leaves you wondering uh, how much bigger will the Premier League get before there's sort of a chink in the armor, before they sort of step back. Um, the interesting, the most interesting part about the Premier League is that unlike La Liga, unlike um league one and bundesliga it's not one team tall or or three at the height of la liga i suppose right um for instance you've got chelsea you've got liverpool and you've got city we've talked about those three teams till we were blue in the face at the top of the table but you manchester united is in a knife fight with spurs with arsenal with uh with six other teams leicester six other teams for that fourth place spot and for the European spot, so the other uh, the the Europa League spot, excuse me. So there's not that knife fight anywhere else, and in there there could be there there has been for for some years, but it's just the fourth team in England, right? If they get in, if they, all they need is a chance to get into Champions League, and this is if Laurent were here right now, he'd be telling me I'm an idiot for saying this about United, but even them, if they get into your uh, into the Champions League. They get drawn into a group. Everybody goes, oh, shit, that's the Manchester United group, right? If, if uh, let's see, if Lille finished fourth in, in Ligue 1, if they finish third, whatever the last Champions League spot is, and they get into Champions League and they, get, they, they draw, and they whatever group they're in, you're not talking about how Lille is in the group. You're talking about who else is in the group, right? And so this is the massive power and reach that the Premier League has. It's not as much in the quality of their champions. It's not in their 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 amazing clubs as much as at the moment it is because Barcelona and Real have taken a step back. It's because of the depth of the league. And I don't just mean that there's there's 15 teams that can win a game on any given day. It's because there's eight that could probably beat any team in Europe on any given day. You know, so um, that's that's where you look at. If you go to any other of the big five leagues in Europe and you look up and down the table, you go, okay, 
how many of those teams could play on the same field as Man City and not get completely fucking bossed for 90 minutes? One, two, okay, three over here. Um, but if you were to say how many of these teams can play with Real Madrid right now, how many of these teams can play with a frankly dysfunctional PSG right now, you'd have a lot longer list than one or two. Um, so it's it begs the question, in a few years' time, what is more important, Premier League or Champions League, if we're not there already? <clears throat> and I think one of the things, if you harken back to uh, la- end of last season, Manchester City, Chelsea, Champions League final, the the Champions League and U- UEFA does not do any favors for themselves by missing a lot of easy wins on media coverage. What do we mean by that? Well, at the time, we were talking about how there was a week, I think it was a week, uh, between the end of the season and the Champions League final. Uh, and there was more than that, like two to three weeks between when we knew that City and Chelsea would be facing off. Now, that's no different than um, than the Super Bowl here in the United States. But when we know that the Chiefs are playing the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, there is wall-to-wall coverage about Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, the long snapper for the Bucks, the human interest story on the Chiefs. There's so much it's you're engrossed by it, right? And you can't escape it whether you want to or not. There is a, an entire circus of uh, there's a, a week of media availability. Now you have all those feel good stories. You, you're going to have to sniff them out a little bit, but you have the story about Pep and his, and her, you know, his mother passing away from COVID. You've got uh Pulisic, the all American boy, which is not really the story for Chelsea, but I'm just grasping at Charles. It could be anything. It could be one of 20 stories. Um, you could fill, especially with the lack of, of other competition in the sports realm, especially in, in late May, early June, before the Euro, there's so much competition to be had, uh, so little competition to be had that you could dominate every second. And you don't. And and, and to be fair, the, the Premier League should probably do the same thing with the FA Cup. That You want to make the FA Cup matter again? That's how you do that. Uh, you just inundate people with coverage of it. Make it matter, Right. Um, but the Champions League has always been because of the prestige of the competition, the, the the competitors in the competition, I should say, it's sort of continued on, plus pretty dope theme song, right? Um, but they've almost cruised on that for so long, and the the Premier League has been aggressively chipping away at that. And I, I think that they've probably eclipsed it, they've probably turned the corner, but Whoever controls narrative is going to win the day, right? And so that's where I keep looking for just a hunger, uh, looking for an, an interest in so much as these clubs and these leagues are aggressively pursuing these deals. Why are you not having BT Sport? Why are you not having, frankly, who? Uh, NBC. NBC does a better job of this than they do, right? They they profile American sports fans, their backstories, why they became uh, te- fans of their club, whatever. Nobody nobody over there does anything with regard to players, backroom staff, coaches, fans, any shit like that. So <laughs> I feel very office space ish about this. Like, what what would you say you you do here, Sky Sports? What would you say you do here, BT? Um, 
And that's sort of where this fan revolution has sort of come from within uh, the the bloggers and and the the vloggers and the Arsenal fan TVs and the True Geordies and and stuff like that. So um, we'll see. I I, I don't know um, what that ends up meaning uh, for the future of the Premier League for the future of other leagues trying to keep up with it. But I don't like what I see from a lot of the other European leagues. Now this is certainly we we profiled in our last episode or maybe it was last Monday, um, you know, how we got to this point. And of course, uh, the pandemic played a huge role, but these balls were in motion significantly before anything escaped Wuhan, China. Ooh, did he say that? Um, so it's really an interesting dynamic to kind of think about, uh, about how it goes forward. But uh, as far as this is concerned, um, I would actually prefer to see ESPN win the rights despite the fact that I think their NHL coverage is terrible at the moment. Um, why would you say that, Mike? Well, I'm tired of Peacock. I really don't want to pay for another streaming service. Would I miss NBC and all they've done for the league? Absolutely. Uh, I think if I could have a contingency, it would be to bring Rebecca Lowe over to ESPN and be the, the lead anchor. Um, but I think, I think the breadth of ESPN Plus would – significantly raise the profile for someone like myself who selfishly uh, streams, right? So who does not uh, have cable. And that's really the only way you can manage 10 games at once, even with the amount of networks ESPN has, because um, especially on Saturdays in the fall, they have obligations. They're showing every college football game under the sun, right? Fox has a handful now, but um there's a significant amount that are on the ESPN family of networks, as they say. So they're not going to just all of a sudden cut those games away because, you know, Burnley is playing against Chelsea at, at 10 a.m. Um, what I think happens is that those similar to, to Peacock, which, by the way, uses the Premier League feed. It doesn't use their own graphics or anything like that. So I think that that's a like-for-like like replacement. And you just put him into the ESPN Plus ecosystem – um, and you kind of let them have it at it and you have ESPN two have a 10 o'clock game. Now the real question is generally speaking, the 1230 game is a prime time game. You, all your biggest games uh, are generally that time, not to mention your 1130 on Sunday runs right into the ass of the NFL countdown show. So there are some, definitely some speed bumps, definitely some questions to be had when they did this last, it was 10 years ago they did not prioritize the Premier League. If they're going to spend this kind of coin on a deal, they're going to prioritize it to some degree. I don't think Cincinnati against USF is going to get the same love as 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 Spurs Arsenal, right? Uh, or Chelsea Brentford even for that matter. So it'll be interesting to see how they 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 deal with the legacy fan versus the, the new fan or the idea of the new fan. So... Um, uh, it's something we're watching very closely. It's something that we'll talk a little bit about as, as things go on. Um, Laurent is still going to be out the, the rest of this week. I'm going to see if I can get another show together for Thursday because, man, we'll see. I'm not sure. I'm moving. Uh, so we'll see if I can get my shit together, if I can get my setup and my Wi-Fi and my new spot uh, ready to go on time. But if not, we will talk to you guys next week. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And I hope that after 43 minutes of not having to listen to Laurent, 43 minutes of just me, you don't hate me as much as I hate myself. 
So anyway, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike Salerno and Laurent Cartines, usually the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We love those guys. Uh, we record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please, please review our show so we can reach more crazy football fans like yourself. See you guys later.